He's got a beautiful backswing. Dad, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward with you today. And guys, sometimes we have controversy in the game of golf. And when I joined this podcast, T-Dub, the big controversy in the game of golf was the distance debate. And I feel like we talked about it on every single show right when I came on the podcast. By the way, don't go back and listen to those podcasts. I was terrible when I was just beginning doing the podcast. But we were talking about the distance debate. And then all of a sudden, Liv comes along and we kind of forget about it. And now, the USGA and the RNA come out and want to roll the golf ball back 20 yards. Now, I know this show is meant for golf nerds, but I won't even bore you guys with all of the testing and all of that. To be honest, I don't even understand a whole lot of it. T-Dub, I might defer to you before we get into the midst of this um, on all the testing stuff, and Woody might be able to help with this as well, but they are rolling the golf ball back 20 yards But why, as far as the testing, I guess, is how I will start this conversation, T-Dub? Old bombs can resurface, Sam, at the end of the day. I thought that maybe we had been able to push this off for maybe a few more years, but no, it just absolutely resurfaces USG and RNA. Dropped an absolute bomb on us, and with regards to the testing, the way that I understand it is, for my interpretation of understanding everything and listening to everyone I've talked to, is that so they test each ball now. The way they test it is they, they test it with a certain swing speed, essentially like an iron byron machine that swings it. And the, the old ball speed that they're currently testing it, or club head speed, right now is at 120 miles an hour, which is uh, it's still top on it's per average club head speed, like 114, 115 miles an hour. So it's still uh, above uh, actual standards. Well, what they're wanting to do is they're going to increase the club head speed that they're testing on from 120 miles an hour to 127 miles an hour, which is a consequence of that will be that the ball currently will not with the, the, they test the ball by essentially how much it compresses and how much, which is how the ball goes further and all that. So if the club head speed is moving faster, the ball will compress too much, which will deem the ball illegal. Woody, am I kind of on the, the right page on that? Yeah, I think, I think you're spot on with what you're trying to explain. And it, it is difficult. This is really hard guys to, for the average golfer to think about this is just crazy. What what they're trying to do, which I think is kind of almost impossible to do, it's not fair to the manufacturers. They're telling them to make a ball for the tour player and don't mess with the ball that we're playing with because, of course, we don't have swing speeds of 127 miles an hour. It's not going to affect the average golfer. But, again, like I said, guys, I – why now? Why all of a sudden you throw this wrench into the system yeah. and 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 I just I don't know why they're coming out with it right now and and honestly I was a little worried about the golf on how far these guys are hitting it and yada 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 but I really don't see it dominating the game even even after Bryson went on his little bins where he was trying to prove he could do all this it still goes back to the golf courses can be set up 
and the way they're built, it's not going to behoove you to hit 400-yard drives that often. In fact, it usually will hurt you. And because most of those guys that are trying to hit it 400 aren't very straight. So, um, I don't know. Why, why now? That's my question. I, I don't get it. Hey, you make a lot of good points there, Woody. We'll get into those points. But as far as the testing goes, and I won't say the name, but I did get a text from a professional golfer, and he said, I don't think anybody wants this. Their testing standards are ridiculous anyways. And that's kind of when we start off this conversation talking about the testing and them kind of using the testing as an excuse to roll the golf ball back 20 yards and make it go 20 yards shorter. I mean, how many people are actually swinging 127, T-Dub? That can't be the average swing speed, right? No, it's not not even close. There's not even a single player who averaged over 127 mile an hour speed. Now, there'll be some players who occasionally will swing faster than that, but no player on the BJ Tour does that. Bryson, Bryson's decently up there, at least he was before. He, he got unhealthy, but uh, one of the things, that, from my understanding, I was watching golf today yesterday, and they had Mike Wan and the uh, the head of the RNA, I forget his name currently, but the, the way they were explaining it was was that so over the last 30 years, the, the golf ball has, or distance has increased essentially by 30 yards. So you could think of it as a yard a year. And what they're trying to prognosticate is, is that within 30 years from now, that golfers will be hitting it 30 yards further. I mean, you could you can look at fitness in there, which is why I think they're trying to do the club head speed thing. And you just look at all the different changes. So they're thinking, well, we don't want guys, guys are hitting it too far now. We don't want them hitting it 30 yards further right. then. So they're trying to put they're trying to put a stop in it now before before it, it gets too concerned. And, and Woody, I think you're 100 percent right on a couple of things. One is the ball manufacturers have to be absolutely pit, I mean furious with this. I mean, that, I mean the the amount of money it's going to cost them. Then you have the consequence of well, if the ball is going to react different, are the clubs that they're making now that they make for the general public are they going to have to be different compared to tour standards? I mean, there's so many layers to just that dynamic of it. Go ahead. One one point here is not just the ball manufacturers, but the young players, and I don't know where they're going to draw the line on this elite competition, but this goes along with the ball manufacturers because you might have to have a different set of clubs for when you use a different ball that goes 20 yards shorter. So you're going to make young players have two sets of clubs. It's kind of like when you look at baseball. In college, they play with aluminum bats. And then when they get to the majors, they finally get to go to wooden bats, right? Uh, I, I want to say it, something it, about it, that, though. The, I don't see that. Okay. Everyone keeps saying that's a comparison. I don't see that as a well, comparison at all because, I mean, the baseball players don't have to know their yardages down to the minute yard, and, and they don't have to, you know, see how the ball reacts around the greens and stuff like that. This is a way bigger change than that. Oh, for sure. I'm not trying to compare the two. I was just using that as a, a situation where they actually do change as they go through in their careers. But you're right. A, an aluminum bat and a golf ball, those are two completely different types of scenarios, right? I don't know. And that's why I say, Sam, I don't know where this came from. I don't know why all of a sudden they just have a clear blue and go, oh, by the way, this is what we're going to do. And you can tell it's not going over well at all. <laughs> So, um, you know, here we go again, guys. We, yeah. Every time we turn around, we got something in golf that's a controversy. Well, I'll tell you guys why it's a big deal. It's because guys like Jack Nicholas have been campaigning for it for years, and it's the older guys. We're trying to change the professional golf game back to the 1990s. And what you played 
in the 1990s. And I feel like you even understand that golf is a whole lot more popular now. But where I have a problem with this is not just the you know, entertainment factor of all this. Yes, people like to see guys hit it far. But let's go back to the last three tournaments that have played the toughest in professional golf over the past 10 years. That would be three different U.S. Opens. One at Olympic Club where the final score was 281-1 over. All of these scores will be 281-1 over. But it was Olympic Club, it was Marion, and it was Shinnecock. Tighter Mm -hmm. fairways, deeper rough, firmer greens, tucked pins, and wind. That is how you make golf courses harder. And I don't understand this whole phenomenon of trying to bring historical courses or being obsolete now in in today's game. No, they're not. Marion played under 7,000 yards. And it was the highest score in professional golf over the past 10 years. I do not understand this whole argument that courses are being obsolete. Yes, Augusta National moved the 13th tee box back, what, 30 yards or something like that. But at the same time, I don't feel like that's a problem. I, I just don't in the game of golf. We saw Southern Hills make their changes. Things have to evolve, but at the end of the day, is it really hindering the game of golf? I feel like it's more popular than it's ever been. And then my other problem with this guys is, I mean, if you're under 30 years old on the PGA tour, you never played with the persimmon wood. You never played with a Bolada. I mean, guys are going to have to change their entire games that they've learned their entire life. Like I'm not talking about going back to something we did five years ago. These guys have never done this. And they're going to have to completely change everything that they do, not just off the tee, but the ball's going to react different around the greens as well. I worry that it might make the game significantly less exciting. And I also worry that the shorter hitters are actually going to be at an extreme disadvantage compared to the longer hitters. Because if you think about this, the longer hitters who were hitting wedges into holes are now going to be hitting eight irons. And the shorter hitters who are hitting seven irons into holes are now going to be hitting five irons into holes that have firmer greens. This this is just so stupid to me. And, and I don't care who goes next, but this is, I don't understand it. Why try to fix something that's not broke? I'll, I'll take it from here, Sam. So I, cause I, I agree with essentially everything that you said there. Uh, the short hitters are without a doubt going to be at the most uh, consequence comparatively to the long hitters because you're going to have guys like Kevin Kisner now hitting three was in a par four sometimes. It's like, do we really want that? Like, is that what, what is the best thing for golf? And I mean, it, it, this is what, this is really my biggest problem with it too, is that if you, if you're going to make such a significant change like this, you need to have every single layer of every single plan orchestrated so you know what direction you're going to go in. And when I was watching the Golf, Golf Today interview yesterday, I, I could not believe the amount of times I heard, well, oh, that's just something we'll, we'll, have to, we'll have to learn with or we'll, we'll have to get used to that. We'll have to figure it out along the way. It's like, no, damn it. You've got to know this now if you're going to do it because if not, you're going to get into a situation where you're just making changes on the fly and you can make a change that is absolutely detrimental to the game of golf. They don't know exactly. Like, for example, if, if you have U.S. Open qualifying, Okay, so yes, you're going to have to allow the, the local qualifying is going to have to play with that ball. So then you're going to have that, that problem. 
Then you have an example of, okay, well, the handicap that the USGA uses to determine if you're good enough to play the local qualifier is used with a different ball that they're going to use. So then that's another layer to it. And That's a great point. I, I, I didn't even honest, think about that. Great point. Hey, hey you guys, what you do right now, if you're listening to both of you, you're giving me a headache, okay? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm too old to worry about all this crap, but I will say just it's one thing. It's not us this giving you the headache, Woody. It's, it's the, the USGA and the RNA. I, I know it is. Trust me. I know who to blame. I'm just giving you eyes crap. Uh, <laughs> but here, here's what we got to look at. I'll simplify this because I'm old and stupid, but I, I can get the basics. What was the tournament record at TPC? Wasn't it Greg Norman at 24 under for the longest time? It might still be. Is, does he hold it? Yes, he does. Yeah, yes. we talked about that in our yeah, previous show. Absolutely. Right. 19, 1994, gentlemen. He shot 24 under. Okay. Are we seeing golf courses decimated by the length they're hitting the golf ball right now? No, we're not. We're, we are not. Sam, you put the nail in the coffin for any argument that people have that we need to roll this ball back because I can show you. Let me set up Oak Tree. Please, let me set up Oak Tree. You bring the best players in there and you give me 15 to 20 mile an hour wins, you can bust my ass if anybody breaks far. Okay. Yeah. Now they'll call me everything but an MF. Okay. But I can set it up where you can't finish it. Okay. So it can be done to do what they're talking about. Just like you guys going through all these different scenarios. Holy cow. They haven't thought about this at all. If they had thought about this, they wouldn't be doing it. No, exactly. And then, I mean, what is the NCAA going to do? And if a, if a college player. It goes on and on. I mean, if a college player qualifies for a PGA Tour event, I mean, are they literally going to have to completely change everything that they do? I mean, this is just, it's not going to work. And and by the way, I will say this. One good thing about this is if they were insistent on dialing distance back, then I think they did it in the right way, doing it with the golf ball instead of the golf clubs. But at the same time, now that it's actually here and we bring up every little scenario, I don't think there's a great way to dial distance back. To be honest, in my opinion, I just think guys are more athletic than they've ever been. I don't care if guys nowadays on the PGA Tour live were swinging persimmon woods. I still think they would be swinging faster than they've ever swung ever. Without a doubt. There's no doubt about that. I mean, just just for that sake. So the current testing speed they have is 120 miles an hour and for this year on the pj tour there are 27 guys who average more than that so i mean that's still a pretty small percentage if you look at the accumulative guys on on the tour as i mentioned the tour average is currently 115.1 is the average and the leader in club head speed right now is 126 it's brandon matthews so like i mentioned that the fastest swings you have here you have a 132 and you have some 133s in there so there's a few times where you can get over that number but it's a very, very small percentage. It's very, it's kind of like to, but it's to a greater extent of when they made the driver link thing uh, 46 inches, the maximum. It's like, why are you doing that? But to this, it, it elevates into every single aspect of the game. And I mean, guys, we're not the only ones who, who are talking bad about this. I mean, the PGA of America, no, no, no. to my shock, actually came out against I've it. had live guys and PGA Tour guys all finally agree on something, and it's that they think this is extremely stupid. A hundred percent. And what's crazy about it to me is, is that, you know, we've talked to uh, people before, uh, 
PJ Turpros about about the ball and distance before, especially about the time you were talking about them before, before Liv came along. And it's like a lot of guys told us that it's not necessarily the ball goes too far. The ball goes too straight. And it's like you, they could see the ball curving and straightening out along the way. So, I mean, I think maybe they could even look at that to some extent. And also to your point, Sam, earlier about, about course conditions. I mean, we, I was up, we were all up at the PGA Championship last year, and watching these guys, you can tell they just absolutely smoked the ball. It's like, God dang, some of these guys just hit the ball miles. And there were 12 players who finished under par at Southern Hills. 12. And yeah. it was in May in Oklahoma. And there was, what, maybe one there was Saturday when it was cold, was bad weather. Other than that, it was pretty benign conditions. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it was a fairly scorable situation. So, to your point, it's, you you set up a golf course with narrow fairways, tricky setups. And they're not necessarily tricky setups, but challenging setups. And put, put challenging pins. Make the course as long as you can, and it, like you even brought up with Mary, and it doesn't have to be over even seven thousand yards to, uh, to to play tough. It's like Webb Simpson brought up yesterday when I was watching last week at, at TBC Sawgrass. There were two holes that played under four hundred yards that played over par for the week. So distance does not relate to the end of the score, Sam. No, you're exactly right, guys, and I mean, I I think everyone making this decision, I want to emphasize this again, is older than our generation of PGA Tour players and live players who are in their prime right now. I mean, how are we letting, and Woody, I guess I'll ask you this question, but I don't understand why we care about what Jack Nicholas thinks when he's not playing on the PGA Tour right now. If you polled PGA Tour players, this would be almost a unanimous decision not to do it. So I don't understand uh, why we're doing it. Uh, well, it, it, again, it's stupid, but Here's the thing that you got to look at from a statistic standpoint. I, when T-Dub was mentioning some guys that had 130-mile-an-hour-plus uh, speeds, I didn't recognize one name. They've not won a golf tournament. They're not even relative a good to point. professional golf. Other than the fact, they have a, a, a high swing speed rate. When you start, if you guys could start showing me that distance, off the tee, wins golf tournaments every week, then I think we have a problem, okay? Until you can prove to me that the longest ball striker of the golf ball wins every week, then it's a mute point. It doesn't – who cares? Woody, to your point right there, I want to add this. The, the, here's the top five names on the PGA Tour and Club Hetsy. Brandon Matthews, Cameron Champ, Will Gordon, Kyle Westmoreland, and Wyndham Clark. Those are your top five faster swingers on the PJ Tour. I know Wyndham Clark's name, and I used to know that Cam whatever's name. But other than that, the others I don't have a clue. I can also tell you the highest swing soccer. speed. I can also tell you the highest swing speed on Liv, and that's Bryson, and he's not playing very well either. And so the nope. point is distance doesn't necessarily correlate to lower scores. I mean, yes, it absolutely that's helps not. at times, like we saw, for instance, Bryson at Wingfoot. But does it make Wingfoot a bad course? No, it makes Bryson, for that week, he was the best golfer in the world, and the reason being is because his strategy of trying to hit the ball farther worked. It's a strategy thing, number one, and it's an athletic thing, number two. These guys are more athletic than they've ever been. I mean... I just don't understand it, T-Dub, and I don't think many other players do. I I haven't honestly heard one player come out and say, yeah, this needed to be done. Well, what's crazy about it, too, you were alluding to this earlier, is that 
there's swing speed that they're wanting to test at, even within the next 15, 20 years, will be in the top 1% of what the PGA Tour does. And that's the elite of the elite. And you think of any other aspect in any other realm of endeavor, if you're in the top 1% of something, you should have a pretty distinct advantage. And you could actually argue, and maybe in fact, that because this change, I think, will hurt the shorter hitters more than this might actually give the top 1% even more of an advantage. So, I mean, there, there's two different ways it to will. look at it there. But it I, will. I, 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 think, I think that's exactly right. And what's crazy about it to me is, is like I mentioned earlier, it's the fact they don't have – it doesn't seem like that they even have 60% of this plan figured out. It's like you should have 150% of the plan detailed if you're going to go through this route. And they're pretty clueless on a lot of things, which is actually shocking to me. Because if you, say, if you look down and you set it on paper, it's like, okay, well, could we make the ball go maybe just a little bit shorter to help it? Yeah, let's say it could go 10 yards shorter. Okay, that wouldn't be an absolute problem in the world, but it's the consequences that come from trying to do something like that. And, and that is the main, that's the number one thing that I'm working. And it's because there's a lot of gray areas why they haven't come out and said anything until just now. Like, think about mid-ams. And if the mid-am gets in the Masters and then he has to change, and or college players or high school players, or where do you draw the line at? And you talked about handicaps. There's just, I, I mean, there's too much to even think about. It would make my head explode. I think if they were going to do this, guys, the best way to do this would be for there to just be a local rule at like Augusta National where everybody uses the exact same ball or something like that. And, and, you know, let guys know in advance that that's just how it's going to be at Augusta National or, or something like that. If you were worried about the course being obsolete or something like that, but it, even then, I don't think it's been a problem. I, I just don't. <laughs> I don't know. No, I don't think that it is either, in all honesty. Uh, they brought up something on golf yesterday or golf today that said that in their studies, if the ball, if the distance keeps increasing, it's going to cost golf courses a lot of money when it comes to maintenance upkeep and making the course longer and all that so i get that but it's at the same time how much more money is going to cost the ball manufacturers i mean i think it would cost in my opinion i may be absolutely wrong on this but i would assume that it will cost the ball manufacturers a lot more money than it will cost golf course because not every single golf course is going to lengthen right i mean there's some courses that can't so but every single ball manufacturer is going to have to and then they run into the, the problem of well how many balls do we distribute that we make. I mean, like, for example, Titleist, how much ever their, uh, you know, how much they invest in the company goes in the ball, in the R&D, because that's where they make most of their money. So, no wonder Kushnick came out with a, a five-paragraph statement talking about how they're against it. I mean, I, I just can't see a, a realm where that any ball company would want to do this. And you mentioned the PJ Tour pros. Like, for example, Jack Nicholas. well, he owns Muirfield Village, and he's had to lengthen a few holes in the past, so it's in his best interest probably to have the ball uh, to not go as far. Then on the PJ Tour, you may have guys like Tiger. Well, the reason he would want the ball to go shorter is because it'll give him a competitive advantage over the guys that hit it 350 yards. So it, it, once again, once again, you need to think deep, deep. And like I said, I love Tiger and I love Jack, but they have underlying reasons as to why they want a certain that ball rule to go a certain way. And Woody T Dub brings up a great point here that I feel like all the great courses in the world have already made changes. And, and made their course longer to suit the modern game, now they're going to have to shorten the course back to what it was before, so they're going to have to change again, right? Because, I mean, you can't just keep these same tee boxes and have guys hitting four irons into every single hole, right? I don't think so. I 
you know what I guess we get back to it's podcast on Monday. What we talk about ifs. There's a lot of ifs That's about right. this in there, gentlemen. Okay? So right now, it's just like anything. If we do this, if we do that, uh, we're just going to have to wait to see the calmer, smarter heads. They come back and they really stop to think of what they've done here, and there's got to be a better solution. You can't ever tell me the best solution is the pros play with one ball and the amateurs play with another. We can't do that. It's, it's feasibly, it's stupid, it's it's the most irrational thing I've ever heard in my life. Okay, if if we can't all play with the same kind of equipment, we'll ruin the game. Don't do it. I don't care how they figure this out, but they're going the wrong way with this. Period. No doubt about it, guys. We did have other breaking news this morning. Ricky Fowler has signed with the TGL. T Dub, what are your thoughts? I mean, not not a shock at all. I mean, I mean, we we've already listed off the the PGA Tour players who are currently on that, and Ricky Fowler's one of the. Even though he's he's starting to get his form back, there's no doubt about that. But he, he's he's currently not a top ten player in the world. And, and the likes of the other, but he still draws that attraction from the fans. I mean, he's probably a top 10 name when it comes to uh, people who will engage and potentially watch the TGL on these Monday nights. And, and so, yeah, I think it's a, I think it was a fit in the glove. And all honesty, when I saw the news, I was like, I kind of thought he was already on there. So, I mean, it was, it was kind of like, well, I, I saw this coming from a mile away. I mean, just off the other guys, a few names that are currently joined. Yeah, Max Homa, Billy Horschel, Morikawa. Adam Scott, Matty Fitz, John Rom, and Justin Thomas. So, I mean, Woody, I mean, I, like I said, I'm kind of shocked he wasn't already on it. If you look at how they're doing this, you know, Justin Rose was put on that team, uh, this TGL. This is an entertainment thing, guys. It's, it, it is going to be golf, but it's more, mostly about entertainment. So your personality of a Ricky Fowler, that goes a long way when you're talking about entertainment value. So, uh there's a method to their madness. I think there's only going to be 18 guys in this first year of this product. So that's a that's pretty closed-in little group. But um, it's going to be who Tiger wants in there and who Rory wants in there. And then we'll probably – if it's successful, it will build. It will go to more than 18 players. But uh, Ricky's a perfect fit for entertainment value. No doubt. No surprise whatsoever. I'm excited to watch the product, uh, you know, putting aside the fact that they're going to be the, the private equity that comes in and saves the PGA Tour here in a couple of years. Um, but I am excited to watch it. it it's going to be extremely entertaining stuff, guys. College golf update. Last show, we talked about OU and OSU. Texas A&M did get a win this week at the Louisiana Classics, guys, down in Lafayette, Louisiana. They shot 14 over for the tournament and won the tournament by nine shots. It must have been really tough weather down there. I know that it was really cold when I played in that tournament in college. And guys, I got to say, by the way, they had the best food of any college tournament that I've ever been to. They had, instead of a a hot dog uh, truck at the turn, not a burger truck at the turn, they had a gumbo truck at the turn. So everybody was looking for the bathroom uh, in the middle of those rounds. Uh, But it was great (laughs) stuff down in Louisiana. Also, 
that was the tournament we were about to fly to three years ago when COVID happened. And so that really ended my college career. So I'll always remember the Louisiana Classics. But Texas A&M does get the win there. And Sam Bennett finished tied for 12th. Uh, ended up uh, shooting a 71 even par in the final round. And then Anton Albers of Arkansas Little Rock goes out there and wins the golf tournament with a little 212, 74, 69, 69 in tough conditions, it looks like. Uh, the three-bag for Arkansas Little Rock taking down Sam Bennett and everyone at Texas A&M. That's really impressive. Uh, and then, guys, we had another college tournament here locally. Right in my backyard, right, Tito? Yeah, the old Oak Tree Invitational out there on the East Course. Yeah, you probably could have uh, seen them walking out uh, your window the last few days. Oh, uh, yeah, see my, that. my OC, my OC Oklahoma Christian Eagles finished second in the tournament. They lost by two shots to Henderson State. Uh, but my OC Eagles, they are currently on golf stat ranked the number two team in Division Two. So they've got a, a hell of a squad building there. Ezekiel, Ezekiel Rodriguez led the team. They finished fifth. Uh, he, he finished fifth as an individual, so 68, 72, 71. In some pretty snow flurrious conditions on Monday, Sam, I wouldn't have wanted to play Oak Tree East in those conditions. No doubt about it. Ne- never great college uh, golf weather in the springtime. I wish in <laughs> high school golf that we would play that the, the season would be in the fall and not the spring because the golf courses and the weather is much, much better in the fall here in Oklahoma. But shout out to those guys. Shout out to the OC Eagles uh, getting the job done. Go ahead. I was going to tell you, Sam, I, here's a little tidbit for you. Because I didn't know this. I was like you. Yeah, I like golf in the fall. It's the best time to play it. Do you know why we don't have golf in the fall in Oklahoma? For I high school? Yes, I, I do. It's yeah, because like, a lot of the football coaches are golf coaches as well. a boy. a boy. <laughs> I did not know that. Because yep. I've, I've been helping the Carl Albert guys, the uh, uh, shout out to my little Carl Albert high school kids. They're actually starting to play pretty good golf. I'm proud of them. But uh, the, their coach is a football coach, and he's the one that told me that. And I, yep. I, I went, well, makes a lot of sense. How makes about sense. that? So, <laughs> I can't get one over you at any time, you trivia little son of a gun. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, I, I still wish that they would have it somehow, but it's just not feasible. But Anyways, guys, I do want everyone out there listening to go follow the 73rd hole at the 73rd hole on Twitter and at 73rd hole on Instagram. Let us know what you think about the distance debate in the game of golf right now. And Woody, please tell us about our friends at Quail Creek Bank. Our guys at Quail Creek Bank, 51 years in business. I talk about that a lot and it still impresses me. 51 years. The reason why it's such a great bank is everything they do is first class. Everything about the bank, from their loan departments to their no ATM fees to their personal touch they have with every customer. It's just a kind of friendly bank that you don't see that much of anymore. And if that's what you want in your bank, somebody to know your name, somebody that's always happy to see you come through the door, go see my friends at Quail Creek Bank, 122nd and North Bank. Quail Creek Bank, the best bank in Oklahoma City. On the other side of the break, we got two tournaments to preview today. We have the Valspar coming up and Live Golf Tucson. So stay tuned after the break here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. When something the size of a golf ball hits your roof, you need to call McRae Roofing. 
McCray Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. For years, Jeff McCray and the experienced team at McCray Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs. McCray Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McCray Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McCray Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof, it is your home's crowning glory. Call McCray Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at McCrayRoofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y Roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McCray Roofing for your free inspection today. And we're back here on the other side of the break here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Go get all of your local golf news from GolfOklahoma.org. A lot of great college golf stuff and local high school golf coverage coming up from our great friends, Kim McLeod and Chris Swafford, doing a great job with GolfOklahoma.org. And subscribe to their magazine, Golf Oklahoma Magazine. It's coming up, and also the Oklahoma Golf Hall of Fame is coming up in Tulsa. So they got a busy year for you guys doing everything to promote the game of golf in Oklahoma. Guys, we like I mentioned, we have the Valspar and Live Tucson this week. Uh, Woody, do you have any stories about Ennisbrook? I got one of the craziest stories about Innisbrook. I was supposed to, in 1978, I was still at college at OSU, and I remember going after after that, going into the summer, a holder had said to me, Woody, you got to pick up the pace here. you got to prove to me you're worthy of the golf team playing on this golf team. So I'm headed into the summer of 1978. Well, I win the state amateur in Oklahoma City at the Greens, so – I'm feeling pretty froggy. I won the state amateur, you know, and I thought that's pretty special. But then we moved to the Southern Amateur, which was a big golf tournament. Still is a pretty important amateur golf tournament. And they were going to play at Innisbrook, and we were supposed to play this Copperhead golf course. Well, guys, it rained, and it rained, and it rained. And finally, they couldn't play the Copperhead course, but we could play another one on their little trifecta of golf courses down there called the Island Course. And the reason why they called it the island, no matter how hard it rained, you were up on an island and you could actually get around this one. <laughs> so it was pretty cool from that standpoint. I went out and shot three over par for 72 holes and ended up winning the golf tournament by two shots. That's Not hard just the golf, golf tournament. Course. Tell people what golf tournament it was. Well, it was the Southern Amateur. The it was Southern a Am? What do you, I, did, I had no clue you the won the Southern Am. Well, it's yeah. a top three amateur tournament, Woody. Maybe well, top five I, at worst. You know, boys, I had flashes of brilliance. I tried to tell you this. <laughs> I, I wasn't brilliant my whole life, but I had flashes. And so I'll never forget because it was a good field. And, and one of the funniest things about that tournament, guys, I was tied for medalist after two rounds. I shot 72-72. And there was a guy from Minnesota. I wish I could remember his name. This is where I've killed too many brain cells. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, he was tied with me also. So 
they decided the third round, whoever was shot better score in the third round, would be the medalist of the golf tournament, which was pretty cool deal because they gave you this gold coin, and it, it's pretty neat now. I probably have lost it, like everything else I didn't keep track of, but it was a neat little little trophy, that, so I spoiled it because I did win. I shot 72 the third round, so I'm just even par. How many shots do you think I won the medalist trophy by? Shooting even par? Shooting even par in the third round with a guy that I'm gonna say eight, with, how many? I'm gonna say eight shots. I'm gonna say five. Yeah. How about twenty? What? Guy oh, shot ninety two. <laughs> and we were paired together. And and you know, I'm pretty cold hearted son of a buck. I wanna beat your ass pretty bad when we play golf, but at some point that day I felt really sorry <laughs> so, for this. Oh, guy. it was just you that. and him playing <laughs> against each other, right? Ninety two? It was well it was you know, we were in the final pairing, yes, and we were playing the third round of a four-round tournament, but we were counting that round as our medalist. So, to say that I did not play with him the fourth round would be an understatement because I was leading the golf tournament. He fell way back in the pack after shooting 92. Wow. That is yeah. awesome, Woody. That's that's a great story. Well, yeah. I mean, what are your thoughts about the golf course this week? I know that you didn't play – the Copperhead. Well, have played, you ever played it? Or you did play it yeah, the first played, couple days? We played a practice round. We got to play one practice round on it. And I was thinking, oh, my gosh, is this golf course hard, until I went to the island course. <laughs> so if any of our listeners ever get to Innisbrook, don't just think about the, the Copperhead. Go play that island course if you want a real challenge, because I think the island course was harder than Copperhead. And – uh that copperhead's a beast, though, guys. That those finishing holes are really good holes. So, again, at Florida, once there's a couple of things you can count on Florida. It's going to be hot, and there's a lot of bugs. <laughs> That's right. You can also so, count on uh, it raining in the afternoon almost every day. Pretty much, yeah, pretty much, and it'll be muggy. It'll be humid, uh, but it's uh, it's a heck of a test of golf. To think that Sam Burns is one there back to back here speaks pretty highly of his ball striking guys because it's a hard golf course no doubt about it let's talk about that because sam burns could join a pretty elite list of golfers to win or to really three peat three years in a row at the same golf tournament steve stricker did it at the john deere Stuart appleby did it at kapalua and then you also had young tom morris do it at the british open Back in the 1800s, he actually won four in a row. Walter Hagen won four in a row at the PGA Championship uh, and also won it in 1921 as well. He won 24, 25, 26, 27, and also won 21. So he loved himself some PGA Championship. Gene Saracen uh, did it four times at the Miami Open from 1926 to 1930. And then, of course, Tiger Woods has done it two different times, uh, one four uh, one four tournament stretch between 2000 and 2003 at Bay Hill, and then at the Buick Invitational, he did it from 2005 to 2008. So, I mean, even adding Steve Stricker and Appleby into that list, guys, that's still a pretty historical list of guys that Sam Burns could join this week. And if you look at the field, T-Dub, Justin Thomas, Matt Fitzpatrick, Jordan Spieth are your top three favorites. Then you have Sam Burns and Justin Rose round out your top five. That's a solid top five. 
but the field isn't extremely strong considering it's not an elevated event. If Sam Burns plays well, he probably has an easier path to winning this tournament this year just as far as strength of field than he did last year or the year before that, T-Dub. Yeah, there's a very good very good chance of that. I mean, like, as you mentioned, once you get past the JT, Spieth, Fitzpatrick, then down to Burns, then you have Adam Hadwin, Justin Rose, those guys, Denny McCarthy, Brian Harmon kind of ranks out, then Wyndham Clark, who we just talked about in clubhead speed, is actually 8,800 on, on DraftKings, so maybe a little bit of value there. But at the same time, you look at the course, and traditionally this course heavily favors guys who hit it straight. You don't have to overpower this course. It's kind of similar to, to Sawgrass last week, but even in a greater extent. And, and short game has really been a, a key stat when it comes to this course over the last few years in particularly. So that I think that'll be something to watch out for. And looking at this course as well, too, well, I think Sam Burns has played so well here the last couple of years. You have a, a decent amount of shots from 175 to 200 yards. Then you have a good amount of shots from 250-plus yards because the par fives are all pretty long. So, And he's really good with those clubs. So I, I think that that's the reason to prevail. And one of the reasons why I feel like it's going to be a pretty top-heavy tournament because that's where the elite players tend to show themselves. And really all the guys up at that list, so Matthew Fitzpatrick hasn't been hitting it exceptionally well, but, but all the other guys are, are hitting the ball fairly solid. So that's why I think it's going to be a pretty top-heavy tournament. No doubt about it. Taylor Moore is down there as one of like the top 20 favorites, I would say. These aren't numbered out here, but uh, I would say he has a decent chance to be in contention on Sunday considering how he has played over the past five weeks. I mean, he's finished tied for 35th, tied for 39th. He has a tied for 14th in there, tied for 15th, and a tied for 11th, but he's been rolling the rock, which I like to see from a local guy like Taylor Moore. Uh, you you know, his last four tournaments, he's gained over half a shot each round on the field putting. And so I, I would like to see my, my favorite story of the week would be to see Taylor Moore up there in contention. I feel like Woody, I mean, you were an Oklahoma kid coming out on the PGA Tour. Now, I know he missed the cut here last year, but you got to take advantage of the opportunities you have on these non-elevated events for a guy like Taylor Moore. Maybe change your mindset a little bit and say, I am one of the top 20 guys in this golf tournament where, you know, if you're playing in an elevated event, it's, it's a little tougher to do when you look at the big names up on that leaderboard, right? Oh, I think you're spot on with that for sure. And I, I think he was playing, he kind of had a bad weekend. He was playing pretty good at the, the tournament player championship. Yep. Uh, I think any, any time you're looking at a guy's first, second year, he's still getting his feet wet. He's, He's played a majority of the golf courses now. He knows where he's going. He knows which hotels to stay in. It, there's a lot of things about your second year on tour that are easier than your first year on tour. Um, he has been steady as a as a as a rock. So you know he's he's really played pretty solid golf. And we talk about it all the time, guys. The difference between a 14th and 15th is a couple of shots here or there going the right way. And all of a sudden, you're not 14th or 15th. You're in the dogfight to win the golf tournament. So I don't think we should be shocked if Taylor wins a golf tournament this year. It would not shock me, but I look for him to get some top 10s, top 5s here in the next few weeks. I really think he's capable of that. T-Dub, last week I picked Justin Thomas at the Players' Championship. I, I looked at his tournaments before that, and it just looked like he was about to pop. You know, he had the Tide for 20th in there. He had a, a couple fourths and a fifth. 
and it just he just didn't putt well enough at the Players' Championship, ends up finishing tied for 60th. But I don't think that that's a thing that he necessarily has to worry about. But if we go back to the U.S. Open, the club that has been hindering Justin Thomas the most is the putter. But when I watch him, he doesn't look like a bad putter. But when I look at the stats, it doesn't match up, T-Dub. What, have you seen anything with his putting uh, that might be keeping him out of contention late on Sundays? I've seen him miss a good amount of short putts recently, um, which is something that maybe there's just a little bit of hesitation there and not fully committing to your line. Because as you mentioned, yeah, going back to the U.S. Open, I mean, his putting has been really bad on a lot of occasions. Only about 30% of the time is he even not just losing an immense amount of strokes on the greens. He's gaining shots every single week around the greens. His chipping's there, his iron plays there, and his driving's there. So, yeah, the putter is absolutely what's holding him back. One thing that is positive looking at JT, though, this week, Sam, is that he's played here five times, and four of the five he's made the cut, and his finishes when he has made the cut are third, of, like he finished last year, 13th, 18th, and 10th. So he, he really likes this course. And, and three of those times, he, he gained a good amount of shots on the green. So maybe struggling with this putter, but he can get on a course with some greens that he's familiar with and good with. I, I think JT's going to have a pretty good week. Then the second favorite, Matthew Fitzpatrick. Last year, he finished tied for fifth here at the Valspar. And at the start of 2023, it's just been inconsistent play from Matty Fitz. And, um, you know, when I look at his stats, sometimes he putts great, but then the weeks that he putts great, he doesn't hit the irons great. Or the weeks that he hits the irons great, he doesn't putt great. And I, I think, Woody, sometimes guys just kind of get in those modes or, you know, have those stretches where everything doesn't click on the right week. But he's showing me that certain weeks he's putting great and certain weeks he's driving the ball great and certain weeks he's hitting the irons great, but they just haven't all matched up yet in 2023. Woody, did you ever have stretches? is like that you know that's that's why it is so hard to win on the pga tour guys unless you're one of those upper echelon one of the top top ranked guys that can play with a b b minus game and win most of the guys need to be b plus to a to pull off a win so uh, to get all those ducks in a row is not the easiest thing to do and and when we were talking you're talking about justin thomas's putting and some of these other guys with their putting coming and going Ben Crenshaw once told me something. It's, it's always stuck to me. Um, he said, I don't care how you stroke the putter or how you do it. Just be comfortable. JT doesn't look comfortable. I don't know why. I don't know. Maybe he's thinking about it too much. Uh, if you're not comfortable on the green, you're not going to be a good putter. And that was something that just Crenshaw, I just loved him from that standpoint. He made it so simple when he talked about putting. Um, so, when you start looking at these guys' stats as far as putting goes, or you watch them on the putting surface, I don't know, Jim. You can almost tell when they're comfortable and when they're not. And JT has not looked comfortable to me in a while. So uh, Fitzpatrick, I haven't seen enough of him to tell you, but if he's coming and going, he'll he'll get the right week. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that Matty Fitz will have it all click on the right week and we'll go, oh, yeah, he's still good at golf. Uh, another guy that we've kind of gone, oh, yeah, he's still good at golf at times this year is Jordan Spieth, but he's been very inconsistent, especially on the greens. In his past six tournaments, he has three tournaments where he's gained 
a half a shot on the field putting, and he has three tournaments where he's lost half a shot on the field putting. And so basically I'm saying if you want to bet on Jordan Speed this week on a course that he's won at before, you got to hope that you catch him on the right week. Last year, he missed the cut here at the Valspar, but he also has a win and uh, uh, three top 20s in his career at the Valspar. Uh, Jordan Spieth is not a terrible bet this week, um, but at the same time, he's been pretty streaky, and you can probably find better odds uh, with some other guys. And then Sam Burns, guys, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, he is my one-and-done pick this week. I, I like Sam Burns, but I don't think he's going to win a major this year or an elevated event. I'm not going to save him for one of those. So I think as far as the one-and-done pool goes where we pick one player and then you can't use him again the rest of the year, I like him at a course that he absolutely loves. And the reason why I like him is because in his last six events, he has gained a full shot on the field in five of those events, guys, on the greens per round. And so he's putting great, but the ball striking hasn't been there. I think the ball striking will get there uh, this week on a course that he obviously feel, feels comfortable at, uh, that he's won back-to-back times at at the Valspar at Innisbrook, T-Dub. I think that's a good pick. I, I really thought about running Sam Burns out as well. I just From what I saw at Southern Hills, with how pure he hits the ball. I just think that he's going to start to start figuring things out because he's he's arguably the best putter in golf right now. I mean, maybe with the exception of a Cam Smith or someone like that who's done in the, in the clutch so many times. Sam Burns has gained strokes analytically every single week on the greens. It's absolutely crazy. And so I, I might save him for an elevated event later down the road if, if I, my prognostication on him is going well. But I, my one and done pick, guys, I'm going to go ahead and run out Justin Rhodes. I mean, he's been playing some pretty good golf. Finished sixth last week and actually hit it in the water on 17th. That could have even been a little bit higher. Won at Pebble Beach earlier this year. And one of the main reasons I like him, Woody, is that he's played this tournament, counting here, I believe, 10 times. Only missed a cut two of those. I mean, with the exception of a couple years, he's missed a cut. The two years he missed a cut, his putting was absolutely horrible. He lost two strokes or more putting. And I look over the last couple weeks, even the times that he's missed a cut, he's gaining shots on the greens. So, of course, that he's played so well in the past, finished 5th, 8th, 5th here, 13th, 14th, 25th, 20th. He, he's had so, such a good record here, Woody, that uh, I'm going to run out Justin Rose while he has a little bit of a form on a course that he likes. I like that pick. I, I like that. I like Sam's pick with uh, Sam Burns. I'm going a little bit off the off the radar a little bit. I'm going with Keegan Bradley. Um, I think he has a good record at this golf course also. And I think he could. I don't know. What do you? I hate, to, I hate to break it to you, but Keegan Bradley is not playing this week at the Valspar. Oh man, are you <laughs> kidding me? <laughs> now I'm really disappointed. He I'll give you some other names there. here. The I mean, after the top five favorites, you got Adam Hadwin, Brian Harmon, Wyndham Clark, Tommy Fleetwood, Denny McCarthy, Gary Woodland. Uh, Let's see, Taylor Moore. I mean, you have Nick Taylor. <laughs> you like any of those names? Then it gets kind of well, off no, the wall. I like Keegan Bradley. Uh, <laughs> you know, maybe I could have sworn I looked at that this morning. I was trying to do a little homework. I thought that some gun was playing. I thought one of you guys is stealing from me, but she's couldn't because he didn't even there. Um, well, now I don't know who to go with. Just between you, me, and the fence post. Um, I. Uh, I mean, you got guys like Robbie Shelton, Davis Riley finished second (laughs) here last year. Davis Riley, you know, he he, he's having a little bit of a sophomore slump. 
Uh, what do you so, get tough so in these non elevated events? I mean, you got to pick some off the wall names sometimes. Yeah, you're trying to prod me into picking a donk. I know what you're doing. I know what you're up to. Um, who was the Who was our top five? You've already got Burns. You've got Rose. Besides Steve, who else we got up there? Well, you're not going to pick Justin Thomas in the one and done. I don't think, unless you you're oh, crazy. Oh Lord, no. Uh, yeah. And then Matthew yeah, Fitzpatrick, Jordan Spieth. You probably want to save those guys for the one and done. And then yeah. you got Sam Burns, Justin Rose, Adam Hadwin, Brian Harmon, Wyndham Clark, Tommy Fleetwood. My good gosh, that just that's uh all right. Let's go with uh, let's go with Wyndham Clark. He's gonna bomb it and finally win one for the long hitter. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Wyndham Clark. Uh this week he Wyndham Clark has a, has a seventy three percent chance to make the cut. Wyndham Clark, the former cowboy in his time at the Valspar, has gone miscut, tied for sixtieth and uh, tied for thirty seventh. But recently no, he's a real good pick. But recently, but recently, Woody, he hasn't missed a cut since since the Shriners Children's Open. So he has been playing some really consistent golf as of late. Woody, I know you did your preparation here. <laughs> You're going with recent form, right? You're going with recent form. Ah, uh, jeez, I tell you, see why I told the listeners at the end of our last show how I get abused, and part of it is self-inflicted, which I deserve. But game and Christmas, you guys have no respect. You thought I was really special when I won the Southern Amateur. Now I'm right back down in the gutter. I get it. All right. All right. No problem. Uh, I know who I'm going to pick for the, the live. Okay. Let's get to that. Live golf is in Tucson this week. And like I said, you know, at the start of the year, pretty much any time Liv is teeing it up, they're, they're going to have a stronger field than the non-elevated PGA Tour events. Now, there's some solid names this week at the Valspar in the top five, um, but once you get past the top ten favorites, it's it's pretty uh, slim pickings and, uh, as far as how guys have been playing recently. But at Live Golf Tucson uh, this week, you have Joaquin Neiman as your favorite, Dustin Johnson, Cam Smith, Paul Casey, and our man, Chucky Three Sticks, Charles Howell Third, round out your top five, but you can find some good value this week with guys like Mito Pereira, Abe Anser, Taylor Gooch, Thomas Peters, Matthew Wolf, uh, Jason Kokrak, a, a bunch of guys up there, and I'm not even saying big names like a, like a Patrick Reed, Bryson DeChambeau or, or Brooks Kepka, I, I could see a lot of different people winning this golf tournament in the desert, T-Dub. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I didn't realize this until I was looking it up, that th- this is the same course where they had the uh, the WGC match play back in 2007 and 2008. That's where, right. And I remember Tiger winning there in 2008. So that's, uh, that's going to be pretty cool because I remember a little bit from that tournament. So it'll be cool to see some of those holes come up. And, uh, I mean, I'm still pretty young. I don't exactly remember what the, what the course set up and who exactly – It'll favor in that sense. Also, it's a match play tournament, so it's a little hard to judge on that. But I, I, I expect to see some really good golf, as we saw the last couple of weeks. As you said, I think there is a little bit of value in this tournament. I really like TG. I think TG's going to have a great week. Chucky 3-6, as we talked about even in the interview, he always started seasons off very, very well. And he's obviously did that with Liv by winning the first event in Mayakopa. So I think he'll keep a good streak going on there. And a guy who we've talked about a lot and uh, on this show who who has adjusted to live very well is Matthew Wolf, a local guy, and I expect him to do well there too. So I don't know, Woody. Maybe I just got a little homerism here, but I expect a lot of the local guys uh, to play well this week. And it is at the Gallery yeah. Golf Club, is what it's called now. Yeah, it's a that's a heck of a golf course. Um, 
a good thing about the Liv is there are only 48 guys, so they all got to play. So when I pick Victor Hovland, you guys can laugh again because, well, yeah, that's right. Woody, he's not a Liv player. So, um, no, I'm kidding. I'm not going there. I, I, you know who I think is going to have a good week? I'm telling you who's going to have a good week. And since I went with Wyndham Clark down there at the Vals Bar, which you guys laugh at that one, I hope he wins. You, I'd be laughing all the way to the bank. Uh, <laughs> uh, but who's going to win this week? TG. I love, win yeah. I love it. I love it. I'm looking at the scorecard here, guys. It's going to be a pretty long setup, 74-69, uh, par 71. So that's it's a pretty longer golf course than we saw in Mayakoba. Yeah, but it not only is he going to win, but his team's going to win. So they're, they're going out all in for you, boys. This is going to be my OSU weekend where I just smack you all around. I'm all in. I love it. I love it. T-Dub, when I look at this field this week, I think guys like a Dustin Johnson who have, you know, kind of taken their offseason and now that they practice before Mayakoba and they're probably getting back in the groove of things, I think you could see some bigger names like a Dustin Johnson or a Cam Smith maybe round into form like they were at the end of last year a little bit more than we saw at Mayakoba. It's kind of tough to prognosticate who's been really grinding out there and who and who wasn't over the offseason. Um, Joaquin Neiman is a guy that obviously Data Golf loves and the analytics love. I like Taylor Gooch this week. Uh, man, it's tough for me uh, not to go with Dustin Johnson, but obviously um, – you know, we got to do our draft here. I'll, I'll just go second here, T-Dub. I'm going with Dustin Johnson to win the golf tournament this week. I think that I saw enough good things from him at Mayakoba. He just looked a little bit rusty for his first tournament of the year, considering it was the first time in his entire career he actually got to relax during an offseason. Yeah, I think DJ's going to start to find a little bit of form. You, you always wonder, he withdrew from that uh, that tournament uh, over in Saudi with a back injury, so you, you never know if that if that's still playing a little bit of a factor. Yep. So as long as he's not dealing with that, I expect him to, to come back in and start playing good. But and as you mentioned, the analytics love Walking Neiman. He's actually been playing pretty well this year. He's finished tenth, fifth in the uh, the two Asian events they played in, and then finished eleventh at Mayakoba. So I can see why the analytics like him. But you know, my pick, Sam, I'm going to go with Cam Smith. I just I, I think he's getting really geared up the Masters this year because if everyone remembers Scotty Scheffler winning by a lot, but Cam Smith was right there until the horrible shot he hit on the 12th hole. So I think he really wants to come out and make a statement, especially since he won the Open Championship, then went to live. If he wins the Masters, it would completely validate his move. So I think he's pretty motivated. And I expect Cam Smith to play pretty similar to what we saw in the final round of Mayakoba where he was kind of down the middle of the pack and he jumped up to be uh, end up finishing sixth, which earned him a decent amount of cash. No doubt about it. There's a lot of names on Liv that I could see making a run at Augusta National. I like Cam Smith, obviously. It seems like eventually he's going to get a green jacket. Dustin Johnson already has one. Joaquin Neiman, I feel like, has played some solid rounds at Augusta National. And, and, and Abe Anser and Taylor Gooch as well, obviously, have the ability to play well at Augusta. So I can't wait for Augusta National. We'll get to Augusta National in a second. We got a big announcement coming up here at the end of this show. Um, but before we do that, guys, we got to have our team predictions and our team draft for this week at Live Tucson. And by the way, I didn't get any points in the first tournament, so I need to step up my game a little bit this week. 
I am going with Dustin Johnson individually, but Woody, give us a team pick for this week. Obviously, at Live Golf Mayakoba, Charles Howell III led the Crushers and Bryson DeChambeau's team. Paul Casey finished well as well. Honor Bon Lahiri also on that team. The Crushers ended up getting the victory at Live Golf Mayakoba. The other teams on the pedestal that week were the Four Aces and Team Torque. Uh, so, I mean, there's a bunch of teams such as the Range Goats and, and the Fireballs and, and Ripper who all need to start playing a little bit better golf after that first Live Golf Mayakoba event. Woody, who are you going with this week? I almost hate to have to pick because right now I'm ahead of you, and that means the world to me. <laughs> it's on cloud nine out here in New Walla. I'm a bad man. No, I, what did I say? I said Taylor Goose was going to win. So if he's going to win, you got to go with them range goats, right? Any a goat? Woody is going with the Range Goats. That's Bubba Watson's team with Taylor Gooch, Harold Varner III, and Thomas Peters. I like that pick this week, Woody. I think that that team will start playing some better golf. Uh, T-Dub, who who do you have for the team? Well, if you're going to give me the second pick here, I'm going to go with the guys who won the first one. I'm going to go with the Crushers. I mean, you got Bryson DeChambeau, who's probably the, the, the bad horse on the team in all honesty. I guess you could say him or Lahiri, but I think Lahiri's playing better golf. And Paul Casey's one of the best players on live currently, and Charles Howell. We just alluded to how well we think he's going to do this week. So give me the crushers. I feel like he just got some value there. Boys, you left me with the team that I was going to pick anyways. Give me the four aces. I got Dustin Johnson to win the golf tournament. And Peter Uline obviously played well for a lot of Live Golf Mayakoba until he uh, found himself in the jungle on number 12 at Mayakoba. And then Pat Perez, by the way, Pat Perez finished top 10 at Mayakoba. He's playing a little bit better golf, and obviously Patrick Reed will get things figured out eventually. Uh, it seems like that Patrick, per- Patrick, I almost said Patrick Pareed. That would be quite the human being, guys. Uh, but Patrick Reed is going to uh, figure things out eventually, <laughs> and I like the four aces this week. So I have Dustin Johnson and the four aces. T-Dub, who do you have one more time? I have Cam Smith and the Crushers. So you're splitting it up. You're hedging your bets a little bit, and Woody's going with Taylor Gooch. I'm going to hedge my bet, yes. Yeah, Taylor Gooch is – Woody's going with Taylor Gooch and the Range Goats this week out in Tucson. Guys, one thing about this time of year at Tucson is I played a tournament, Arizona's tournament out there in college, and I was thinking, yeah, it's Arizona. You know, it's going to be warm. It was literally – frost on the range early in the morning and I did not bring any pants whatsoever I was the only dumbass up there in shorts that's the only thing I remember about Tucson guys hey it could get and that you remember that golf course that they're playing at you remember that one year it had a snowstorm that's right and, and it, yeah it did believe it or not you don't think of Tucson as being at an elevation that golf course even though it's 7400 yards Sam, it's it's at a little bit of an elevation yep. up there in the mountains in Tucson. So, uh, yeah, if these guys didn't, didn't do their uh, weather forecast out, the 10-day weather forecast, see what the weather's going to be doing, and they all come in shorts, uh, I, I, I don't think so. I think they'll play in a little better than you did, Sam. No doubt about it, guys. So, I teased earlier in the show that we have a big announcement to end the show. That is that Taylor Williams and myself, Sam Humphreys, will be at Augusta National this year, T-Dub. How excited are you 
to go to Augusta National for the first time. I've been there, but it's still I'm still over the moon about it. Oh, I, I can't believe it. It's literally a, a dream come true. It's going to be a, an absolute fantastic experience. Shout out your dad, Craig Humphreys, for being able to make it possible for, right. for me and both, for like you, me, and my dad to be able to go as well. So it's going to be a very memorable experience. Well, I'll be there for the Par 3 contest, which is, from what I understand, is one of the hardest tickets to get. So I am very feel like I'm very privileged to have that as well. Hopefully, maybe Tiger will make an appearance at the Par 3. If not, maybe get to see him in a practice round there because, that's one thing that makes it so special too, Sam, is we don't have very many more years of Tiger having comp- actually a halfway realistic competitive chance at the Masters, and we're going to get to see one of them. I'm beyond blessed and so excited. It's going to be one of the best experiences of my entire life. No doubt about it. And then I will be there for the weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So we'll have someone down there, Masters Week, and we'll be doing podcasts every single night. By the way, remember, if we're at Augusta National, that means that we can't be tweeting during the golf tournament. So there might be less tweets this year. But screw you guys. We're actually there. We're, we're definitely going to take the opportunity. To, to, oh, wow. We don't care about the tweets. We're just going to go have a great Damn. time at Augusta National. But we will be doing podcasts uh, after the show. Woody, you brought up something funny uh, earlier before the show. You said that you can get into Augusta National for free every single year for the Masters, but you don't do it. Uh, why not? Well, because I don't want to be able to sit around on a podcast and tell everybody, screw you, I'm there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was brutal. Okay, well, now, so think about this for a second, guys, and, and, and this is going to, uh, I don't want it to sound egotistical, but this is where my mind was back in the days uh, i almost qualified for the masters on two different occasions i missed by a shot okay i was able to play augusta when i was younger and i kind of made a point and a pact to myself i wasn't going unless i qualified i wanted to play yeah. i didn't want to go watch and so as the years rolled by and i knew that wasn't going to happen I, i'm just too stubborn now I told you guys that I've got a couple of stepsons now. They're really golf nuts. And they said, hey, if we ever get a ticket, you got to go. And I said, yeah, I'll do that. And they'll say, we get you one. I said, you know what? One of the few things the PGA of America does that I like is if you are a card-holding member of the PGA of America, you can go to Augusta at any time and get a one-day pass for whatever day you want to go watch. And that's pretty cool that they do that with the PGA of America. Now, I haven't done it yet, and you're right. Uh, that is kind of stupid on my part. Hopefully, before I get too old and I can't walk up and down those hills, I will go. And when I do, I'll make sure if I'm still on this podcast that I said, this year I'm going and screw all you guys. <laughs> By the way, I was saying, <laughs> basically, we won't be able to have our phones, so you're not going to get the tweets, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> guys. No, it's better where the way you said it. I like the way you said it. Because it you can try to be politically correct if you want. That's fine. But when you get to go to Augusta and millions of people want to be there and can't, that's when you go, yeah, too bad for your luck. Yeah, exactly, guys. Uh, did we miss anything today, T-Dub? Oh, man, I'm just still over the moon uh, about the the announcement and going to the part three. I'm so excited. One thing I did read here that we didn't cover when we were talking about the Gallery Golf Club for the Lift Tournament 
It says here it is notable for having the longest par five in North America. The ninth hole is measured at a whopping 725 yards. So it'll be interesting to see if they actually play it from back there. Wow. I mean, there has to be yeah. some elevation involved, like Woody said with that. Uh, Tita, by the way, I was going to ask you on the podcast, where are you going to go first when you get in the gates of Augusta National? Are oh, you going to just that basically, is, that, you can't run, but are you going to fast walk down to the Amen Corner? <laughs> I will, I will be moving as fast as I possibly can to get the full experience. The question will be, you know, do I start off the morning, you know, maybe get a little, bre- you know, a little chicken sandwich there. I've already looked at the menu they had last year. So I'm kind of trying to prognosticate my meals out, you know, a little meal planning there. <laughs> and I, I'm trying to, and the, the biggest thing too, is I understand for the practice round or, or the Wednesday part three is that, you know, once they're, once about one or two o'clock rolls around, they say you have to get off the the real course. You have to go over to the par three. So, I mean, there's going to be a lot of faster moving that needs to be done to see the whole course because I will step foot on every single piece of that property that they let me. I will say hey, the move for anybody out there listening, if they're going on Wednesday for the par three or ever do in the future, the first thing you do when you get in the gates is you go set your chair down that you bring in at the part three so you have a nice little sitting spot for later in the day and then you and then you go down to amen corner wherever you want to go hey sam i think we gotta go a couple of things i gotta warn uh t-dub of okay he needs to hit the merchandise tent take you a lot of cash that's a good point you gotta get something you gotta get Uh, merchandise and the other thing i would strongly suggest for you judging from your excitement level is go buy a CVS, pick up some Depends, so that when you crap your pants as you run through the door, you don't have to run around and change, okay? (laughs) (laughs) That that is probably the best piece of advice I've heard in quite some time. Oh, I can't wait to hear T-Dub talking about his time at Augusta National and Randy as well, uh, T-Dub's dad. I, I can't wait for you guys to, to share that experience together. That's going to be awesome stuff. And obviously, we're going to be making content all week. I can't wait for Masters Week. It's, it's the best week of the year. It's Christmas morning for all of us golf fans, and it's only three weeks away. But before we do that, we do have the Valspar and Live Golf Tucson this week, guys. It's been a great time here on the 73rd hole. Go get all of your local golf news from Golf Oklahoma and visit our friends at Quail Creek Bank. And also follow us at the 73rd hole on Twitter and at 73rd hole on Instagram. And hit that subscribe button on Spotify and follow us on Apple Podcasts as well. And we are on thesportsanimal.com as well now. We're, we're, we're everywhere that you could possibly uh, want to find us here on the 73rd hole podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. For Jim Woodward and Taylor Williams, this has been Sam Humphreys here on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf.